Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My friends, this is an era of great heroes and dangerous villains. The fate of the world is within our hands. Whether you are part of the Avengers or the Justice League, or just doing whatever you can to help those around you, I ask you to join our quest and become one with the voices from Krypton. Oh, and while you're here, check out the podcast. It's good. Really. I'm Ed Gross, author of Voices from Krypton, the Superman oral history coming from Nacelle Books in 2023. And this is the Voices from Krypton podcast, where we speak superhero. And we're also pretty fluent in sci-fi and action. Will Murray is a novelist, journalist, and short story writer whose vast bibliography includes dozens of novels of pulp heroes like Doc Savage, The Spider, and The Shadow, a Tarzan John Carter of Mars crossover, and many adventures of Remo Williams, a.k.a. The Destroyer. In the first part of our conversation, Will discusses Doc Savage as a character, its possible influence on Jerry Siegel in creating Superman, his own Doc Savage Skull Island crossover, and the benefits of writing series novels as opposed to standalone books, which is where things kick off. I have always felt, as a, as a fan of series characters, Doc Savage, The Shadow, Tarzan, John Carter, Mars, you name it, I've always felt that you can explore characters and develop them and exploit them in a much more rich and interesting sense if you do it over multiple novels. I never get tired of rerun chat. I got tired of, of an editor I was dealing with who was treating me like crap. And so, you know, after after 10 years, I said, okay, sayonara then. If that's how you treat me. And then they were in a world of confusion because they didn't understand you just can't replace a writer uh, on a series like that and have him perform. And this was the destroyer, or the destroyer, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So you know, uh, when you know characters, and when you can, you know, keep the readers happy, um, you know, it's a real gift, but a real challenge, and uh, not all editors understand that. Right. That you know that some writers just can't do certain books, and other writers can. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you look at characters you've written so much of, you know, Doc Savage, the Spider, Destroyer, is there, what is, especially with Doc Savage and those things, those older properties that have been around for so long, is there something about those in particular that really appeal to you? Well, I, you know, I joke that I'm writing books, you know, in my 60s that, that were the kinds of things I read and or would have wanted to read in my teens. So I'm essentially an arrested adolescent as far as that's concerned. Uh, 
it, it, it's, it, it, I still love this stuff. Obviously, there's better stuff out there to read and maybe better stuff to write, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't interest me as much because, again, I love the fact that I get to play, in, as people say these days, play in other writers' sandboxes. But I also, you know, my gift is, is the ability not only to act, to write a credible Tarzan novel or Doc Savage novel or, or, or Destroyer novel, but to a reasonable degree to emulate the style and vocabulary of, of the original writer. Yeah, that I love is, the writing. That is a gift. I I love the writing of Lester Dent, and I love his vocabulary, his his his, his and, and finishing his unfinished manuscripts and working from his unused outlines. When I switched the Spider, who was a who was written by a contemporary of Dent's, yeah, most of their vocabulary is in common, but there, there's that that grouping of words that neither one of them had in common. You know, Dent was a Midwesterner and a Westerner, and so he had he had that kind of uh, vocabulary and page, Norval Page of Spider fame was a Southerner and he was writing in a way that, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and people from the Civil War era were writing. They were using words that you didn't, you didn't normally find in, in Eastern writers or Western writers. And so the ability to sort of comb out those words and use them is, is to me a lot of fun. Right. To be able to get as right as that. Now, obviously, my spider novels and Doc Savage novels, to the degree to which they sound like authentic period novels, is an illusion. You know, if you if you were to take an AI computer, it could probably separate, you know, Will Murray from Lester Dent stylistics and normal page stylistics. Right. The other thing that was that I did and I still do, which is a key. These were contemporary novels when they were published. I don't write them as period pieces. I write them from the consciousness as it's 1936 that I'm writing the next Doc Savage novel. So I get a little bit immersed in what's going on in the world at that time to the degree that it's necessary. Right. And I kind of say, I, I, in other words, I don't put period references to, to, to key the reader to it's 1936. I just put the I just put in references that if you knew 1936, you would understand that that's a 1936 reference. Right, as if it's taking place in that day and not looking yeah. back, basically. Yeah, it's today. they're not written from a historical point of view. They're written from a a displaced contemporary point of view. Right. You know, I, I'm going to bounce a little bit with you on the on different things, if that's okay. Sure, uh, absolutely. Like the one I haven't read, I just literally bought it today off Kindle because I do want to read. I, knew, I somehow didn't even aware of it. Was Doc Savage versus King Kong? I knew you were going to say that. Did you? That, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that was where you were going. Um, that may be my most successful book, not only in sales, but because I didn't write it in the Lester and style, I wrote it in a kind of. A, I had to figure out a style to write that book in, and that's hard for me because. I don't necessarily have my own style because I write so many other people's characters. Right. Um, I, I, I sort of saw this as as it takes place just after World War One, so I couldn't use the Lester Dent style, which was part Dashiell Hammett and part certain pulp writers of his era. So I kind of keyed off of Edgar Rice Burroughs a little bit, but not too much. And I just sort of came up with uh, an approach 
to the characters in the books that I had to sort of intuit from the standpoint of, you know, the, the, the Doc's father. We know almost nothing about him as a personality. I had to invent him. And what was Doc like when he was maybe 20 and just came out of World War One? You know, he was a different character than the mature Doc Savage in 1933, 34, 35. Right. So I, I kind of just sort of got into it. And I made Doc's father kind of a, a hard case and a difficult man because what kind of person would put his infant son in the hands of scientists and go off adventuring while the scientists raised him, you right. know? Uh, uh, so he had to have a person, he had to have a personality that fit that. So he's not the most loving father. He was a father who believed the son should be challenged and, 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 and challenged in an extreme way. So I came up with a grandfather for Doc Savage uh, who was very different, and that he was the object of the book. They're trying to find where, where Grandfather Stormalong Savage disappeared to in his old, you know, remnant clipper ship, and it all leads to Skull Island in King Kong. And people love that book. I've had people say, this is the best adventure story I've ever read, and it wow. shocks me. Yeah. Because, you know, I, 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 I was just trying to solve a a series of problems that went with the great opportunity to, to, to pair those two characters. And I was just, I was just trying to make it work and people just loved it, but it has more emotion than a doc Savage novel and it has a different sweep. Uh, and so I, I blathered on, but you know, you, you've hit a nerve there that, that may be my best book, even though it's, it's an unlikely doc Savage. It's not like all the other doc Savages. Does it open the door for people for Doc Savage, or will they go back to the old yes, Doc it, Savage it, books? It could, and, okay. But when, when you get to a regular Doc Savage, it's a different it's a different world, a different time frame, right? And the the sensibilities are different. What was the appeal of Kong and Doc Savage? Because you know a lot of people have been to Skull Island at this point. <laughs> what was it about bringing Doc Savage to Skull Island? What was the appeal of that? Well, that was the first crossover I did ever did, and it came about by a, a weird. Uh, confluence. My cover artist, Joe DeVito, happens to be tied into the uh, estate of Marion C. Cooper and has property rights to to some property rights to Kong. And I called him up one day and said the, 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 the 80th anniversary of Doc Savage is next year and we should do something special. The cover should be special and the story should be special. And I had a group of Lester Dent outlines and fragments that you know I could choose from. And I was trying to figure out which to pick and how we could do a cover that was an anniversary cover. And Joe just happened to mention something that I knew. I said, well, you know, I have the book rights to King Kong. And I said, well, that would be interesting. <laughs> but, you know, I would have to go back to Condé Nast from whom, whom I had a contract to do, you know, eight novels and all the novel, all the slots were chosen. I had everything picked. And I, I went to their uh, their legal counsel, Jerry Berenz, and I uh, emailed him and I said, we have this possibility, you know, would you guys let this, let us do this? And the answer was yes. So we, we, we had to come up with contracts and stuff. And um, I thought about what I wanted to do. And, you know, sometimes you get inspiration and this is that. And when we were still discussing it, I wrote a prologue in which Doc Savage returns from his fortress of solitude and Kong has just fallen. 
he's still lying in the streets. And uh, Doc's men take Doc to the, the corpse. And he, he says something to the effect of, I know this creature. Hmm. And that's how the prologue. And then Joe loved it. And it was a great opening. And um, we, we proceeded to tell the story of how Doc and his men clean up the body of King Kong and, and get it on a ship going back to Skull Island. And then Doc, once it's, once it's departed, Doc sits his men down and says, I'm going to tell you the story I never told you before, uh, how I visited Skull Island just after the war. And that's, that's the body of the story. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, is it, as a person, it sounds like, and this is me not even knowing that much about Doc Savage, but it sounds like he was doing the right thing, the noble thing, by returning Kong to his birthplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, you know, the, the intersection between Doc Savage and King Kong is this. They premiered within a week or so of each other in, in 1933. And, you know, Doc Savage's headquarters was at the top of the Empire State Building from which Kong fell. Right. So they they had a they had a, a, a synchronicity of, of creation and um, fate in, 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 in those two facts so uh people have been speculating you know where was doc when kong climbed the empire state building right well the only logical thing could be he's at his fortress of solitude and not involved because otherwise he would have been involved you would have seen him on the screen in 1933 not really but you know that's in the premise of where were they if they lived in the same reality yeah so i i solved that when, when you have a flash, you know, the book set up and the, the heart of it is this flashback where, you know, Doc says, I know this creature. And then you do the flashback to uh, his adventure there. And this is going to sound like a crazy question, but is there a way to look at sort of what impact Doc Savage has on King Kong and what impact King Kong has on Doc Savage? Well, it's, that's hard to say because, you know, the, the, you know, to the people who are familiar with the two characters and the the synchronicities of their their creation um they just seem to belong to that same 1933 early depression new york city world right i don't know that they've had uh, an impact otherwise because there's never been a movie or tv show or cartoon where they've met it's it's a perfect idea um but I'm i don't think more of the novel itself though I, i'm no. not saying like the characters within the novel uh, is there an impact that they have on each other in some form or another? Well, a touch I put, put in the book, you know, I wrote that book 10 years ago about this time. Right. And I've written a lot of books since and done yeah. a lot of other things. So uh, I, I don't go back to my books because there just isn't time. Hopefully someday I will. But in Doc Savage was an explorer. And he was always discovering lost cities and lost worlds and islands where strange things were happening. And Skull Island would be, in his life, the first such experience. It was his first great adventure. But one of the things that was interesting in the book, where I took a little license with, because the original King Kong movie was black and white, Doc Savage has flake gold eyes. And when he first encounters Kong, Kong has golden eyes. Hmm. So they're looking at each other with their golden eyes. And there's kind of a, well, what does this mean feeling without it getting into anything specific? I, I, I think Doc recognized Kong as the last survivor of a race of creatures that no longer, that is 
for all practical purposes extinct. And as a scientist adventurer, he would he he made the conscious decision with his father in that book to never to speak of Skull Island and the dinosaurs and the and and the the, the great ape that lives there because he didn't want that world despoiled by civilization or hunters or whatever. So when he comes back from the Fortress of Solitude and, and finds Kong is dead in the streets, the base of his own skyscraper headquarters, it, it's, it's a painful realization that his efforts were for nothing. Someone has come and, and brought Kong to New York, a crazy thing. That's very cool, though. Very cool story. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. You know, now, now shifting gears for a second. Uh, well, actually, let me ask you this question. I just finished an oral history of Superman. Uh, that, that sort of is the latest project. That was, mm-hmm. a monst- that was a monster of a book. Um, there's one section, though, and I can still pop a quote in there if you have something to say on it, is, do you think there was much influence of Doc Savage on Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster in the creation of Superman? Jerry certainly admitted to reading lots of pulps. He specifically avoided saying he read Doc Savage the same way Bob Kane avoided saying he read the Shadow magazine, even though he said he read all the pulp magazines that that bill finger read and bill finger always mentioned the shadow right um i i would say this um there were a lot of influences uh on superman and jerry siegel certainly read uh doc savage and there are a couple of early superman stories from 41 that very puzzle me they're not drawn by joe joe schuster that are literally adaptations of Doc Savage novels, but Doc Savage novels by one of the ghostwriters. And it's like, wow, this is a, this is a very close adaptation. This wow. is basically dealing the story. Um, the real influence of Doc Savage in terms of what you saw in the pages of Superman comics came about later. That's Mort Weisinger, who was a friend of Lester Dent right. and who read Doc Savage and loved Doc Savage. He began taking elements from Doc Savage and then putting him to Superman when he became editor. And the first thing is the Fortress of Solitude, which wasn't called that in the beginning, but eventually it was. So Mort stole the the Fortress of Solitude. He stole the idea that Doc stole from Nick Carter, which is I can never get married because my enemies would, would, would go after my wife and children. And then, Doc Savage had a code and Superman had a code and they were not the same code, but they were similar, you know, Boy Scout code kind of things. And I I think, you know, Doc Savage was a giant of a man, six feet something. The original Joe Schuster Superman was, was as Murphy Anderson once said to me, the original Superman was um, Tarzan, Hal Foster's Tarzan's body with Roy Crane's Buzz, Captain Easy's head surmounted on it. So the original Superman was a somewhat shorter man. He wasn't six feet tall, but over time, you know, they made him as tall as Doc Savage. You know, maybe not quite as tall, but they made him at least a six footer. Um, So to the degree, there's a Doc Savage influence on the earliest Superman it was in small things like he used Doc Savage's neck pinch once or twice. He also used the Avengers face changing, you know, p- plastic face ch- changing thing once or twice. 
Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a lot of, of, of strong Doc Savage influence in the beginning. It came as an evolution when Jerry and Joe were no longer in charge or, or actively doing the stories. Right. After this lawsuit. That's a long basically. answer. No, it's okay. You know, but Superman is, is John Carter of Mars, uh, a little of Tarzan's physique and stuff. And um, um, other, other influences. Uh, this, there is a, there is, there is doubt about where Clark Kent came from. It's supposed to be Clark Gable and, Kent something or other, another uh, actor of that time. Right. Uh, Doc Savage was named after Clark Gable. So they were both named after Clark Gable mm. in terms of their first names. The Shadow's real name was Kent Allard. And some people think Clark Kent, they were taking the two names of, of, of the Street and Smith main heroes and doing that. Certainly you could make a case for that. Yeah. But if Clark Kent is named after Clark Gable, and I wish I could remember the other 1930s actors. Yeah, I should know that myself. I can't think of it right now. Yeah, but there, there's another yeah. guy who wasn't as well known today, and maybe not even as quite as well known as then. Um, so the Doc Savage influence sort of came along and 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 and, and developed. Redeveloped. Superman was sort of redeveloped with Doc Savage partially in mind. So I don't want to overemphasize the Doc Savage influence in the beginning, but we can't really know that. Right. You know, we can't Not really absolutely. know that certain without Jerry Siegel. I mean, I, I read a quote from him. He said, yeah, I read tremendous amounts of eerie hero pulps like Secret Agent X, you know. Um, he certainly read Doc Savage. I think somewhere he said, yeah, I read it, but, you know, that was so long ago and da, 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 da. Right, right. You don't want to overemphasize the influence on Doc Savage and Jerry Siegel. You do want to do it with Mort Weisinger and his 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 um, period of editing Superman. Yeah, was there any period a sense of Lester Dent being annoyed at Mort lifting these things? Oh yeah, he, he did oh. an oh, interview he in nineteen forty five, and he said something to the effect of, "When I saw all these super characters coming out of Artist Inkwells, the the Superman and Batman," he said, "My stomach kind of turned." Doc Savage was there before them doing his stuff. And, you know, he made the point of saying, you know, uh, Doc Savage never had, never left the planet earth. He never had, he never deserted. He was like talking about Superman, you know, obviously going to other planets and doing things. Right. And it's a funny criticism. He says, you know, Doc never deserted us. You know, he, <laughs> he always stayed on the planet and always did, you know, whatever. Um, so he, yeah, there is one quote involved quote where he talks about, you know, how unhappy he was with these characters because they borrowed from his stuff. Uh, Batman was more influenced by Doc Savage than Superman in the beginning, you know, and that's admitted by uh, by Bill Finger. Right. Uh, but they were all they were all composite characters. They were all borrowed borrowing from other. Even Shadow and Doc Savage borrowed from previous characters. Sure. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's that's normal though. I mean, characters normal, are built yeah. on yeah that's the influence. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, you but let's. A shadow without a Zorro. You can't have a, a Doc Savage without a Tarzan. You can't have a Superman without a Tarzan or a Doc Savage. They're all incremental um, expansions to the concept of a superhero, a word that right. was around long before Superman. This is only the beginning of our conversation with Will Murray. Be sure to check out part two, now available. For much more on Will, go to adventuresinbronze.com. 
And while you're at it, please subscribe to this podcast, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends about us. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.